The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Palm Sunday. Um, So if you did notice you have these palm fronds on the way in, often people will ask when they come to church on Palm Sunday, how do you make those fancy little crosses uh, out of the palms? Any of you know how to do that? Or Okay, so this is this amazing thing you can do where you can fold it to make a little cross, and I'd like to give a tutorial of how to do that for you. Um, It's really simple. First, step one, get yourself a palm frond. That's what they're called, a frond. Step two, look around, find a homeschooler. (laughs) And then they'll do it for you, okay? (laughs) I've used that joke a few times in the past, and afterward, after the service, often someone will come up to me and say, I'm homeschooled and I have no idea how to do that. I'm like, how is that... uh, Compliment to yourself. I don't know. It's a weird, <laughs> weird flex, I guess. Uh, but this is a great Sunday. This, this kicks off a week that is just a week of, of celebration. It's a week of, of joy as we look forward to something pretty dark, pretty heavy in, in the cross. Um, very dark, actually. The darkest day in human history. On Good Friday, we will celebrate what Jesus did uh, as he allowed his body to be broken and his hands and feet to be pierced for our sin, to take that upon himself. And then on Sunday, you know, next Sunday, it's, it's an all-out celebration as we celebrate the resurrection, our resurrection hope that we need so badly. I love our King, Jesus. I love him. Don't you? And as a church, as we've been reflecting on his goodness over these last few weeks, we've been reflecting on, on just how our highest priority as followers of Jesus is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we do that, and as we live that out practically, what, what that is going to result in is that our lives as a community and as individuals will overflow with certain characteristics. For us as a church specifically, it's that we would be a praying church. As we love God more and more, that, that prayer would be our first priority and our last resort. A praying church, unashamedly, boldly seeking God's face in humble prayer. As we love him more and more, we will be a praising church. Even as the world around us is out of control and and chaotic and dark, we will praise his name because he is worthy. And we will sing of his glory as we worship in spirit and in truth. As we love him more and more, lastly, we will be a proclaiming church. A church that unrelentingly testifies to the goodness of what we've seen and heard. That Christ came into the world to save sinners like me. And like you. And so as we gather together with fellow believers to grow in intimacy, to open up his word and to pray together and to sing together and all these things, there is more than just coming together as a church. There is a going out, a proclaiming to the world, a declaring to the world of what we have found in Christ. There is this command in scripture to go forth and make disciples. And so both from the pulpit and in the streets, we have a message to proclaim. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says it this way. Jesus came to them and said, this is his final instruction to his believers before uh, he ascends. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is such a a good promise, such a a needed promise that he is with us always. So what this verse means though, what this command, this great commission means for us is that our Christian life cannot all be receiving. 
It can't all be about taking and coming uh, to, to worship together and just receiving from the message. Oh, I, didn't, I don't know if I got fed today. It's great to be fed. We need to be fed. But there is more to the Christian life than just receiving. I want to illustrate it this way. Take in a really deep breath right now and hold it. You can breathe out now. Some of you were close to not making it there. <laughs> but what this is, is an illustration of our Christian life. If it's all inhale, if it's all receiving and taking and, and all these good things, living in community with others and, and spending time in the word and praying uh, in our quiet times, if it's all about that, then our Christian life is going to be ingrown. The, the proclaiming of the gospel, the sharing of our faith with others, that's like the exhale of the Christian life. You need both, actually, to be healthy and to grow. Philemon, verse 6, at least in the old NIV translation, it says, says it this way. It says, I pray, this is Paul speaking, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Do you get that? There's a connection between the active sharing of our faith and having a full and deep understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. It, to the extent we share what we have, we will grow and we will understand God's goodness and we will grow in love for him. If it's all exhale, if it's all just go, 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 with no inhale, with no intimacy with the Lord, with no inflow of living water, inevitably you burn out, you bear very little fruit, you get tired, and you constantly just need a vacation from your church community, right? But if it's all exhale, excuse me, if it's all inhale and just taking and all, all this kind of stuff and no exhale, your growth is going to be stunted. We need some gospel go in our lives if we want to bear fruit. And I believe that God has so much more in mind for us as individuals and as a church. And this message is going to be me preaching to myself because when I think about these three characteristics of praying and praising and proclaiming, can I be honest, that third one is the most difficult for me. It's the most intimidating sharing my faith with my, my neighbors, with my lost friends and family who don't yet know Jesus, that is often the most fearful of these three things. Praying, I can do that. Praising, that, that, sometimes we have some hesitations about that, but that's pretty easy compared to unrelentingly testifying to what we've seen and heard. And yet the world needs this message, doesn't it? Like the world does not need more good advice. We need good news. We need the good news of the gospel. And God's chosen means of sharing that good news with others is through you. I can remember a, a few years ago, I was um, down in Washington, D.C. I was there for a wedding, and I was going from the ceremony to the reception. And on the way, I noticed that my gas tank was almost completely empty. The light had come on, and I needed to stop and get gas. And you don't typically want to stop to, to get gas in D.C. Prices are high, and you never know what neighborhood you're, you're going to be in. So I pull into this particular gas station because I, I need to, and, I, and it's not a very nice neighborhood. Uh, why do I say that? Well, because there's a, a very, lar very large homeless population right around that gas station. And um, when I pull in, and I'm in a bit of a hurry, and I never carry cash with me. It's just not something that almost any of us do anymore. But for some reason on that day, I had a pocket full of cash because a bunch of people had paid me back for pizza or something the night before. And so I have a lot of cash in my pocket, and, um, and I, I'm there at the gas station. I get out, and I begin to pump gas, and out of the corner of my eye, I see someone slowly kind of limping towards me, approaching me, and someone who looks like they've had a rough uh, couple of days at least. 
and, and walking towards me. And so I have to quickly make a game plan in my mind for how I'm going to respond to the situation, what I'm going to do if someone comes up to me and asks me for something, for money in particular. And I know some of you struggle with that dynamic. Some of you don't. You just are ready to give to anyone who would ask or seek um, or knock, right? But for many of us, we struggle with thinking it through, analyzing the situation. I don't know what this individual will do with the money. I don't know that it would be healthy or good to give them the money, all those kinds of things. And not only that, I'm in a hurry. Anyone ever struggled with that? Like you, sure, okay, thank you. Thank you for your, your honesty. And so I'm, um, I'm extra spiritual, though, because I'm a pastor. And so what I do... <laughs> What I do in that moment is I determine, I don't have time to do the, what we always advise you to do, like offer to buy a meal or something like that. It's really good advice. But I do the extra spiritual thing. I reach into my pocket and I grab $1 and I say, I'm going to give this person $1 as a show of goodwill and be about my day. And uh, so sure enough, this gentleman gets closer to me, a little too close. Like I can, I can smell him. He's, he's very close. And he asks me if he can have a few dollars for a good reason. He says, so that I can buy some lunch. And I'm ready with my response. I, I say, sure, I'm in a hurry, but here is a dollar. I hope that helps you get uh, closer to what you need. And so I pull out that dollar out of my pocket. And suddenly, as if in slow motion, my whole wallet comes out with it. And I fumble with it. And it falls on the parking lot ground. And money fans out like, like the, <laughs> the NBC Peacock logo. It's just... And so suddenly, this is not just like about generosity. This is like high stakes, steal the bacon. Our, our eyes meet, and then they look back down, and again, and back down. And so I quickly get there first, scoop it all up. I press a few extra dollars into his hand, get in my car, shut the door, and drive away as fast as I can. Now, my point in telling that story is uh, not because I should have given him everything in my wallet. That's not really the point. I know that could have been an unwise thing to do, but I think what this illustrates is it's a picture. It's a picture of what we have in our Christian life and how we so often treat it. We have something so, so tremendously valuable in the gospel, in our knowledge of, of, of salvation through Jesus, his grace. It is so good, and yet I think so often what we do is, is we hold on to it. It's like our own personal treasure just for us, just to be given out sparingly when, when it's most convenient or most natural or, or least risky for us. And we hold on to this message, this goodness of the gospel with such a tight fist when it ought to be burning a hole in our pockets. We have a message the world needs to hear. We have one life to live. I don't know if you ever reflect on this, but we get to be in glorified, eternal fellowship with our Father in heaven. And in, in the new earth, this is what we look forward to. This is your one opportunity for 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it is, to actually live in, in a way where, where there's a challenge to your love for God, where there's opposition to your love for God. We get to, to demonstrate how much we love him by living in this world of darkness and opposition, by bringing light into this darkness. And this world desperately good, needs good news. This week in particular, I've just been um, several times this week just kind of weeping because if you, if you tuned into the news at all, you would have seen yet another nightmare in Nashville, Tennessee. You, you know, um, if you've paid attention at all, that um, six people, including three innocent children, were gunned down at a, a private Christian school in Tennessee, the Covenant School, by someone who was confused, darkened, um, possessed by evil itself to do that. And I don't know about you, but it's just really torn me up this week in my family because it just feels so close to home. 
Like I look at, at some of the victims there and, and there's a pastor and one of his daughters, one of his four children at his private Christian school it is gone now. And it's just like too close to home. It, it looks like my family, honestly, and I see myself in it. And I, and I just can't imagine the, the grief and the anguish and the confusion and the anger that those people are going through right now. I, I can't even let my mind go there much because it's just too dark. But just like this has shaken me and I can see myself in this tragedy, and some of you can too, this is not new. Some of you have had this experience many times. I think about last year, last May, um, the Latino in our community in our church, particularly shaken by a shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And I think about uh, the African-American community in our church shaken in, in, in 2015 when a shooter walks into a Bible study in Charleston. These kinds of things happen, and, and the more we see ourselves in them, the more disturbing and troubling they are, though they are troubling to all of us, aren't they? And it just made me think about uh, this fact that, that God Almighty has created humanity in his image. Each one. Each one. And I just think of how, how much this moves the heart of God, how, how, how pained he is to see his image bearers destroying one another destroying the very image of God. And so the other night, as, as Beth and I were thinking about this, praying about it, like we, we don't have answers. And, and actually, um, so Beth was privately praying about this, and she was just feeling fearful and feeling what, what any mom would feel as they think about these horrific things, feeling fearful. And she was reading in the scriptures and, and going back and forth with God, like why, how, what is this? I don't understand. And he led her to some scriptures in Isaiah, and in the Proverbs, and he separately was leading me to Psalm 55, Psalm 56, these scriptures that talk about just the, the horrors of, of this life that can come along. And these promises in there, these little phrases, like God will not allow his righteous to be moved. And, and that we can cast our fears on him. And you read those verses and you think like, well, how is that true? How is that true And what we've just witnessed and uh and beth my wife she's praying and she says lord why didn't you keep those children safe and she heard the voice of the holy spirit say back to her they are safer now than they've ever been i don't know how people get through this kind of thing this life apart from jesus christ i don't know and everything around me shaking, I've never been more glad that I put my trust in Jesus. He's never let me down. We look forward to this, this resurrection hope. And for us as Christians, we have that. Like we have that, that hope that we can cling on to. But there's a world around us that doesn't. That doesn't yet know him. That doesn't have that hope. And, and for us, this is our task, is to share this hope and this light with those who are desperate for it, whether they know it or not. This is the hope we have. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and think about how dark these, these sufferings are, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No matter how dark it is, the, the light and the glory that we look forward to in, in glorification far, far exceeds the darkness. And, and in that we have hope. It's a mysterious hope. We still don't have all the answers, but Paul is saying something absolutely astounding in that verse. As dark as the darkness can be, 
The hope that we have in Christ is a hope that will melt every sorrow and every fear. That's why we as Christians don't grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We're surrounded by people who don't yet know that hope. And our call as believers is to go and proclaim the good news that we have in Christ. And the question facing each of us today is this. Will you share the treasure that you have found in Christ? Will you live a life that, that shares that? It is not a limited resource. It's, it's the grace of God is vast, beyond all measure, and it is available to us through Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. Yet here's what, what I found is so often true in my life. Just like on that day when I was on the wedding and the cash spilled out, I hold on to the gospel so tightly. It is my treasure. It is my hope. It is my joy. It is the only thing that I, I cling to in these, these dark times that we live in. And yet it cannot be my own personal treasure to be kept in my pocket, only to be given out sparingly when it's least risky or most convenient. Now, I'm convicted by this. I'm sure we all are to an extent. This is, the point now is not to condemn yourself. It is to rest in the grace of God that you've received to love him more and more and to, to ask him to stir up in you a love and affection for other people that you could go and share with them the goodness that you have instead of prioritizing your own comfort over your commission. Here's what I know is true. When we really grasp what he's done for us, like when we really grasp it deeply, it compels us to want to tell others about it. We know it's worth telling about. Colossians 1.13 says this. It says, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us. That's, that's where we belong apart from him. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And that is the good news that we celebrate year round. The cross that took our sins and the, the resurrection that gives us hope and life. But here's what Romans says about this message. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Romans 10. Starting in verse 13. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What this means is that we have a, a message, an urgent message for the world. And you are God's chosen means for carrying forth that message you are everyday evangelists. That's your job description. You are marketplace missionaries. Wherever God has placed you, you're here. You're not on the other side of the world. You are here in Northern Virginia. You are at a church in Clifton. You live in neighborhoods right around here. And that has, is where God has placed you to be his salt and light. So this is the task of all believers, not just the, the, the professional Christians. There is no such thing, by the way. Your job, your home, Neighborhood, workplace, school, gym, coffee shop, playground, or pickleball court. That is your mission field. And those are places that need good news. And this is our commission, to make disciples of all nations. Sometimes we think that means we need to go out all over the world to the nations, and that's a good thing. But, but in this area we live in, the nations have come to us. They're already here. And we have a message to proclaim. 
There's a, a world full of people who need him. I was so encouraged this week. This was something really cool that, that was happening in our church. In the last month, I, I've heard of three different grandchildren who led their grandfathers to Jesus in the last days of their life. Three different, yeah. yeah. And some of you know who you are, right? It's, it is so joyful to be able to experience that and to be part of that. So amazingly joyful. But here's the truth. The, the, the gospel is not just urgent for the elderly, right? It's not just urgent for those who are late in life. This world is, this life is fragile. We don't have tomorrow promised to us. It's not promised. This world needs the good news of the gospel today. Today. And people can't be saved unless they hear that good news. And they cannot hear that good news unless someone goes to them and preaches it. How do we proclaim? First of all, we need to have received this message ourselves. We need to have received this message ourselves. So, so my first question for you, my first consideration for you is, have you received the good news? Have you received the good news? What scripture tells us is that God made a good creation. He made us his special creation for relationship with him. As image bearers with him, that, that he made us for intimate fellowship with him, and yet sin, our nature, our choices, our decisions that we participate in every day have separated us from a loving God. And instead of leaving us to, to punishment and destruction, no, Jesus came. The perfect son of God came and lived among us, died in our place, took our sins upon himself so that by believing in him, we might receive the righteousness, the redemption that he bought on that cross. And he rose from the grave three days later, giving us a hope in eternal life. And that's the message of the scriptures. It's all about that. And the question is, does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? And is there anything holding you back this morning from putting your trust in Jesus? If not, then, then simply pray a prayer. Right now where you're seated, I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you. I want the salvation that you offer. Forgive my sins. Have mercy on me. And he will. And he will. What Jesus has done is good news. It's really good news. So let me ask you one more time. Have you received that good news? Have you given your life to Jesus? If not, today may just be the best day of your life as you give your life to him. If that's something you want to do, uh, there's not, not like a special prayer that saves you. It is him that saves you. It is belief in him. But I would encourage you and, and ask you, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to, to receive salvation, talk to a pastor. Talk to one of our, our, our prayer team members after the service. Tell them. And they'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. And they'll lead you to your next step. Have you received the good news? Secondly, do you, Christian, know how to communicate the good news? This is something we often get, get caught up in. People are, are, are insecure about whether they know how to communicate the gospel or not. And so what we often think is, it's really simple, sure. You just be really nice to people, right? Just be really nice to people, which by the way, have you ever noticed Christians aren't typically the nicest people in the room? But <laughs> be really nice. And then someone in our workplace or in our neighborhood will come up to us and they'll be like, hey man, I noticed you're really nice. What is it about you that's different? And then we'll be ready and our response will be, what? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, right? And then they'll, they'll get on their knees right there and they'll pray to receive Christ. And that's how it's going to go. Um, now, I actually had a friend who, and I've told this story before, but he had this exact scenario play out. He, he was 
one of his clients came to him and said, I've noticed how, how full of joy you are all the time. And you seem so kind and so happy and so different. And she said, what's your secret? I want that. And he was ready and he had been faithful and, and he was loving on, on this, this woman. And he, so he told her, it's Jesus. And her response was like, no. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> She was looking for like a workout program or some B vitamins or something. <laughs> but it reveals something. Uh, listen, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him for, for living this godly life that got recognized. And his answer was correct. It is Jesus that has made a difference in his life. But we need to remember who we are in the gospel story. We are not Jesus. The gospel is not, I'm really nice. I have my life together. Come to Jesus so that you can become like me. Really nice too. No, that's not it. No, the gospel is I desperately needed Jesus and he rescued me in his love. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. My, my challenge to you this week is, is to consider, do you know how to communicate the good news in clear terms to others? And if not, this is something you can talk about in your small groups that you can work on individually. You can, you can pray about and think about, am I ready to actually give the gospel when the time comes? The third question I have for you is this. Will you be faithful with what you've been given? Listen, we do proclaim Christ with our lives. There's no doubt about that. People will notice if you are different, if you're really his. We've all met those people who are, are just Jesus people, and it does make a difference. It does stand out in contrast to the darkness. And yes, we proclaim him with our lives, but even this word that, that I think the Lord uses in the scriptures and that we've latched onto is intentional. Proclamation, declaration, is not silent. It's not unspoken. It is spoken out loud. We proclaim Christ with our lives and with our lips. And, and, and what First John tells us that in so doing, our joy is made complete. And it's as simple as this. I know it's intimidating, but each of you has a story. Each of you has, has a life story of how you came to know the saving love of Jesus. And probably it was through a friend or it was through a family member or a series of people and events, turning points, tipping points in your life that directed you divinely toward Christ. And so can you put that story into words? Can you put into to words and articulate what it is that he has done for you? And when you came to, to know his saving faith, because people can deny your arguments and, and they will. They can hate your lifestyle. They can disagree with you on all kinds of things and ridicule you for your morals and your beliefs. They can do all those things. But what they cannot deny is your personal testimony. They cannot deny a transformed life. So I think of the blind man. This is one of my favorite examples of this in scripture. He's healed by Jesus. And, and he's being grilled by people who don't like Jesus, who are trying to point out that Jesus is a, a sinner or something like that. And I love his response. He's a simple guy, and he answers the crowds who are, are pressing in on him about Jesus. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. So simple. 1 John 1, which we looked at last week, our, our core passage for this vision of being a, a proclaiming church, it says it simply this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, listen to this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim 
also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's it. This is something that we ought to think through this week, today, this afternoon, as you're driving home. That which we have seen and heard. What has Christ done in your life? What has he done to transform your life? What are the times in which you've seen his hand in miraculous ways that have strengthened your, your faith in the Lord, the gracious, loving, saving work of Jesus in our lives? That's what we proclaim. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. He brought light into our utter darkness. First John 1 continues this way. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He has brought light into our utter darkness. And he has called us to share that light with other, uh, others. Apart from Christ, many are perishing. Apart from him, many are hopeless. And Jesus came to bring hope and healing to sinners. He came to lead sinners, that's who? All of us. To repentance. That was his mission. And as followers of Jesus, that is our mission. That is your job description. Are you the Savior? No. No, but he is, and he loves sinners. So our mission is to bring the lost to him. And can I tell you that when the people you love come to faith in Jesus, it is, it is an experience of joy. There's no greater joy than I've experienced in this life than when I, I'm praying for someone over time and I see them finally turn their life over to Jesus because I know that I'm going to get to, to be with them for eternity. And so how do we do this? How do we live this out in practical urgency, this message that we have? I'm going to give you three brief suggestions, and then we're going to, to respond to the Lord through communion. The first is this. Number one, intercede. I know it's a fancy word, but it simply means pray. Pray. Pray for the people that God has placed in your life, in your path, in your neighborhood. Pray, particularly for those family members, Friends that don't yet know the Lord. We talked about this a lot last week. This is your sphere of influence. These are the, those one, two, three, eight to 15 people that God has placed intimately in your life. And so we pray for them. And I'd encourage you to, to write down the names of, of those individuals and commit to praying daily that they would come to faith in Jesus. That makes the biggest difference. The biggest difference in our, in our evangelism is this priority of prayer, interceding. Secondly, invest. Find ways to practically serve your unchurched friends and family. What I'm asking you to do is to inconvenience yourself for the sake of practical love toward others. Maybe that's mowing a lawn or, or, or power washing a driveway or lending your car or buying a meal or inviting someone over for dinner. It's simply opening up your life and your schedule and your wallet to love people that Jesus loves. Let's be honest, too many of us believers spend our time only with other believers. And that's not going to work if we're ever going to fulfill this great commission. We need to open up our lives to practically love and serve and invest in those people that don't yet know the Lord. Intercede, invest. Lastly, invite, invite. This church, 
is not made to be a social club in Clifton. It's not why we're here. We are not uh, in our small groups just to hang out with our best buddies. That is not the point. This is a holy hospital for sick people. This is a place where, where people ought to be able to find hope and healing as they come in and are included, included in our fellowship to come into the presence of the great physician. And so perhaps even this week, as you consider those relationships, those people that maybe you have been praying, interceding for, and investing in for a long time, perhaps this week is the week in which you finally invite, invite to something. Whether that's your home or or coffee, where you actually have a serious conversation about what difference Jesus has made in your life, or maybe it's as simple as coming to our Easter services next Sunday. Invite. That's probably the easiest invite in the world, to extend an invite and say, Come to the Easter service or come and meet this Jesus that's changed my life. Sitting right around you in, on the seat, you'll find Easter invite cards. I just encourage you to think through and pray through and pray for each one of those cards. Who would you have me hand this to, Lord? Because I can tell you uh, emphatically, next Sunday, if they come to the service, they are going to hear about the resurrection hope we have in Christ. They're going to get an opportunity to respond to the gospel. It's an easy invite. There's lots of people that are willing to go to church at Christmas and Easter. Christers, right? So maybe this week is the week in which we finally get up the courage to simply extend an invitation. And the worst case scenario is that they will simply say no. And we'll keep investing and keep interceding until the next invitation. I don't even know why it's so intimidating. I don't get it. But the results and and the hope that we have is that people's eternities will be transformed. That's worth it. It's worth it. So invite your family, your friends, your neighbors into fellowship, if not into the church, into your home, into prayer, into real life-giving conversation. Some of the best ministry in my family happens at the end of our driveway or around our table. And the same can be true of you. And I'm not promising this will be easy. In fact, you will probably be severely inconvenienced if you actually want to live this out. But what a joy it would be If your family room wasn't just a place where you tune into Netflix every night, what if that couch in your family room was a place where people got saved? What if the the table that you sit at with your family to eat became a place where people could receive prayer and healing and, and talk about the real things of life, a place where people get saved? What if the empty seat right next to you right now was a place where where one of your friends or one of your family members sat in church for the first time, maybe in a long time or ever, and heard the good news and responded to it. What if we saw eternities change all around us as we interceded and invested and invited as people's lives were changed from death to life as they hear about our Jesus who offers us the gift of repentance through his sacrificial death and life through his resurrection. We have a message to proclaim, church. Will you do it? Will you be faithful? Will you be obedient? Let's pray right now and then we'll take communion. The, the band can come on up. Lord, I pray right now that none of the response to this message would simply be a self-will or, or human effort. Lord, that we are helpless and hopeless apart from what you can do. But what we ask you for right now is that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind those in our lives that need you. And I pray you would start to work on them now. And I pray that you would give us opportunities, even this week, to share the good news of the gospel, that that hope that we have in you, that anchor that we have through these storms, that light that we have in the darkness. 
Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be uh, religion, that this wouldn't be just something that we try in our own strength. We know that if anyone is going to turn their lives over to you, it has to be a work of your spirit. And so we pray, go before us, empower us, equip us, Lord, and, and embolden us to proclaim this good and glorious news of salvation. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.